You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans, and welcome back. It's Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast here on buffalorumblings.com and everywhere else you go to get your fine Bills-related podcasts. My name is John Boccasino, and yes, looking outside the window, the sun did rise last Monday morning in spite of the deflating, frustrating, uh, irritating feeling that a lot of Bills fans had. Uh, as my colleague Jamie D'Amico joins us here on the podcast following Buffalo's season-ending loss to the Kansas City Chiefs 38-24 to in the AFC Championship game. Jamie, damn those bills for proving us wrong with our false hope in our predictions last week. Well, you know, what we saw is there was... There was the hopeful John Boccasino and Jamie D'Amico, and then there was the reality of the game, which was the Chiefs are a lot better, not just on paper, but on the field. Yeah, it's and we're so we're going to set the stage here, folks. This podcast is going to be kind of a, a smorgasbord heading into the offseason. We're going to recap the AFC championship game. We're going to talk about what Buffalo without getting into offseason particulars we're going to kind of hit on what the bills need to do to close the talent gap with the chiefs and we're going to talk about the season ending zoom pressers that sean mcdermott and brandon bean held but jamie i think i want to start with the first point that you you brought up and we talked about this off air the talent gap between the bills and the chiefs we both optimistically and look these two teams could play a hundred times the way they're currently set up with their rosters Maybe Buffalo steals a couple of those games, maybe, but it would have taken a perfect game from the offense, the defense, the special teams did play a perfect game and they were the one bright spot all the way through, but there is just way too much talent on the Kansas city side of the ball where it's a cliche, but Kansas city legitimately showed they could go and flick a switch just like you would your light switch and turn on their offense. And they had a gear that Buffalo just was not prepared to stop when it came to offensively and defensively that chiefs unit. I have not seen that chiefs defense this entire season. They played like a top five unit that was physical and pushed around the bills receivers. Stefan Diggs and co were never able to get comfortable they never were able to gain separation on their routes. And what happened was you saw Josh Allen revert to 2019 Josh Allen, where he's frazzled, uh, he's feeling harassed in the pocket, and give the Chiefs a lot of credit. Steve Spagnolo did exactly what we thought he would do through a ton of different looks at Josh Allen that really confused him. Not to mention the interior of the Bills' offensive line was absolutely dominated by by the chiefs they got that defensive tackle what's his name again ah uh, chris jones Chris jones that's it throwing punches at the beginning of the game and okay uh, be before you go further jamie i i i'm glad you brought this up because i had this on my my notes for the show the officiating look i am not the bills lost this game and even if all the breaks go their way i still think buffalo loses but the bills you could not have asked for a better start to the game other than Tyler Bass making the extra point when Buffalo took a nine, nothing lead. Josh engineered a nice drive. Tyler Bass kicks the field goal after they uh, forced the only chiefs punt of the entire game. And that's correct. What I just said, the chiefs punted 
one time this entire game. And we'll get to that in a little bit with the defensive shortcomings, but they then go and they force a muff punt, which Taiwan Jones falls on the bills recover. And then Dawson Knox catches a three yard touchdown pass. Bills are up nine, nothing in the second quarter. There were two key sequences that I thought really turned this momentum entirely towards Kansas city. One was the drop by Devin Singletary in a wide open pass on the flat near midfield. And the second was the Chris Jones punch not getting called. How the hell, with all those camera angles, do they miss Jones taking a swing at Feliciano and not toss him from the game for good? Well, it's because that is in the hands of the officials on the field, and they just didn't catch it. It, You know, as as much as the eye in the sky is something that you you want to correct those mistakes there is a human element to to the game and one of which is where are the officials looking during the play obviously they were not looking in that direction and chris jones then spent the rest of the evening marching feliciano into the backfield repeatedly just out physicaled feliciano morris butker whoever he lined up across from and the bills really had no answer there Yeah, really the only way to describe the offensive line's performance. And, you know, look, this is not a bad offensive line, but it's not a great offensive line. And the Chiefs front four proved that in spades on Sunday. They overpowered is is the, the perfect word, I think, to describe what they did to the interior offensive line. They overpowered them. You know, it was one of those things where Feliciano, you know, we love him here on the podcast, but he had his lunch handed to him by Chris Jones, Alex Okafor, and anybody else on that front four of the offensive line. But it wasn't just Feliciano uh, who was manhandled. It was everybody. Center Mitch Morse returning to Kansas City. He got pushed around like a rag doll. Ike Bucker, who has been a pretty good um, renovation. uh, he's, He's been a pretty good reclamation project, rather, at the guard spot at left guard. He had his worst game of the season in pass protection. Of course, there was no run blocking, uh, it seemed like, from the line whatsoever. You know, Josh. There never is. I know, right? Breaking news alert out there. Josh Allen had 88 rushing yards, and by far he was the leading rusher. And I think Yeldon and Singletary combined for 32 yards rushing, which is not going to get it done. But, Jamie, this offensive line, you were skeptical of them in the offseason and starting the year off. And this is before, you know, they cut Quinton Spain unceremoniously. And they went with this patchwork line. But I was convinced that over the last seven games, when the Bills had reinvented their line, that they had at least found something that wasn't going to get Josh killed. And then Steve Spagnuolo just said, all right, you think you've got a decent offensive line? My my guys are going to crush you. And they did. There's another side to that, too, because pressure on the quarterback is twofold. It's the defensive line playing well or the blitzers getting through. But also you have to look at the coverage. And if the quarterback needs to hold the ball, that really increases the likelihood that pass rushers are going to get in there. Josh Allen oftentimes held the ball for two and a half seconds because nobody was getting open. The Chiefs decided to play a mixture of zone and man-to-man. And when they played man coverage, to their credit, the Bills were not getting open. Uh, they were extremely, the Chiefs that is, extremely physical at the line of scrimmage. And you you could tell that the Bills just had a hard time with the physicality. And that's one of the reasons they brought Stephon Diggs in is because John Brown can't get off bump coverage. Cole Beasley has a hard time too. They were doubling Diggs. They were doubling Beasley. And really, you know, John Brown turned his ankle right at the beginning of the game. He hasn't been right the entire season. And Gabe Davis, for all of the potential he has flashed, the reality of it is he really only performs at his top level when the play is breaking down and he sort of starts running around after Allen leaves the pocket. So it becomes more of a playground thing. Being a long strider, he has a hard time getting separation from defenders in in man coverage. So all of that sort of culminated in the Bills offense really, to a large degree, the hero ball kind of stuff and the holding of the ball that Josh Allen did during the game, it was a result of not having anybody to throw to. It looked an awful lot like his rookie season when Zay Jones was their leading receiver. 
God, I don't miss those days at all. Oh, I, I got some PTSD thinking about that receiving core with Kelvin Benjamin, Andre Holmes, Zay Jones, and you know the emergence of Robert Foster, who has been a complete one-year wonder. It, Jamie, here's the thing, though. I get what you're saying about, and we have to give a lot of credit to Cole Beasley for playing the entire postseason on basically a broken leg. I mean, oh my like, god, dude. Yeah, did we not love him enough already? I tell you, third and Cole is is a, a hero in in my book. For the, he played with a broken fibula uh, that he suffered in Week 16 uh, versus the Patriots, and he still was a, an incredibly reliable. I know he was blanketed and didn't get any receptions in the Ravens game, but he what he did is commendable, and he was an outstanding weapon out there. But you're right; the whole frustrations with the offense, and you saw Stephon Diggs get flustered when he had two catches, I believe, through the first three-plus quarters of this game, is the Chiefs employed, they took advantage of the fact that you can legally hit a wide receiver within the first five yards when running their routes, and they weren't used to the physicality, I think, in, in part. Stephon Diggs did a, you know, it's not all on him. He was really the only reliable playmaker outside because you're right, Gabe Davis should not have been out there. I don't think he was fully healthy, I would have rather seen Kenny Stills take a flyer on him and at least give the Bills a, a semblance of a, a viable weapon versus the injured Davis out there. But really, I think we've seen the last of John Brown, and we'll get to this in a future podcast. But John Brown, when he's healthy, is a phenomenal receiving weapon, and his speed and separation is what makes him a great receiver. But as he gets older, he's losing a step, and he's losing that ability to release from the line of scrimmage. He struggled so badly in man-to-man coverage against a Chiefs secondary that I don't think is as great as the Bills receivers made them look in the AFC Championship game. When, when John Brown cannot get separation at the line of scrimmage, when John Brown's burst cannot get him that extra distance between him and the corner, he is just not worth it out there at a, as a receiver. And especially when you factor in his salary of, around eight plus million the bills could save by moving on from him in the off season. It's just really disappointing that all of these factors came together. And basically, I guess, Jamie, my long winded way of saying all of Buffalo's warts were exposed for the national audience in the AFC championship game on Sunday versus Kansas city, that 38 to 24 loss. And when you factor in the offensive line getting manhandled, you factor in the receivers getting dominated and manhandled and not able to gain separation, virtually no running game. It's a minor miracle that the Bills even had a chance to make it a one-score game halfway through the fourth quarter with how perfect the Chiefs played on offense. Let me ask you this question, kind of going a different direction. We saw in the season finale against Miami that the Bills absolutely dominated. The offense looked like it was unstoppable against the best defense in the league. And then they got to the first round game against the Colts, a game that, frankly, the Bills should have lost. Um, the Colts kind of handed that that game to them. The game against the Ravens, they won, but it was close. They came out of there with 17 points. Um, one of them was a defensive score. And then came the game against the Chiefs where the Bills were completely outclassed. So my question is, are the Bills not as good as we thought they were? Were they beating up on inferior opponents? And then when it came time for the playoffs, they showed that they still have a long way to go to be an elite team. You know, Jamie, it, it's interesting you bring up that that question. I I, I want to say no. My gut says no. It wasn't just Buffalo beating up on inferior foes. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure Buffalo had a top 10 strength of schedule uh, for their opposition this year. Down the stretch, you know, down the stretch when they needed those wins and they had that amazing winning streak after the Arizona Cardinals uh, Hail Mary loss, they weren't beating up on on schmo teams out there. You know, the teams they were beating, I mean, none of us knew Pittsburgh was going to be this awful paper champion when the Bills took it to them on Sunday Night Football. They still went about their business beating really good teams and not only beating them, but manhandling them. I mean, the Bills' average margin of victory over the final eight games of the regular season was greater than Kansas City's. They were scoring more points. They were giving up fewer points. 
I don't think this defense played over its uh, over its head when it came to uh, how they played down the stretch. I just feel like it was the perfect storm of again everything that Buffalo needs to work on this offseason really came to light. And in that regard, maybe the Chiefs did the Bills a favor by so visibly exploiting their weaknesses that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have no choice but to go out and say they know the Chiefs are the standard bearer in the AFC and possibly all of the football world if they can beat the uh, the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. But the, the Chiefs delivered a blueprint for what Buffalo needs to work on this offseason and I think they actually did him a, a favor in let's say this game had been, and my friends and I were debating this. Uh, we were watching the game at a friend's house. We were debating, you know, would you have rather lost this game in the fashion that Buffalo did getting thoroughly outclassed? Mm-hmm. Or would you have rather lost on like a last second field goal, a last second drive by Mahomes, who, by the way, ah, the bills did nothing to make Patrick Mahomes feel uncomfortable with that turf toe. They let him just do whatever he wanted to. He was a magician. There were, We'll, we'll get into that. But my point was, would you rather have lost in heartbreaking fashion or have been outclassed the way that Buffalo uh, was in this AFC championship game? And I'll let you give your answer. But my short answer was, I almost feel like it's better the way that it happened this way, because if the Bills had lost on a last second field goal, maybe they don't have the motivation to go out there and address their weaknesses with such conviction. Maybe they get the false confidence that the gap really isn't that big between the chiefs and the bills, because guess what? It's a huge gap right now. When you lose a close game, it becomes a, what if, what if, what if, you know, what if the refs caught that, that punch that was thrown by Chris Jones? Um, You know, what if, Sean McDermott had decided to go for it on fourth down instead of going conservative and kicking field goals. You know, what if none of those things came into, into question the way the game went down, the bills could have played a great game and still lost because the chiefs are they're really that good. So I was actually content with the game was actually not even as close as the score. One of the touchdowns that the Bills scored was truly in garbage time, um, and and that was that was fine. It looks better in the box score, but you know the reality of it is, I'm with you. I think the players know they've got a lot of work to do. I think the front office knows they've got work to do, and the one downside is it did show other teams how to attack the Bills, but they're not going to be able to attack the Bills in the same way because I can promise you they're going to come into next season with a plan to run the ball better, a plan to get after the opposing quarterback better, and they're going to figure out ways of getting open against bump coverage in ways that they hadn't before. They'll probably bring in some uh, better athletes on defense that can run with a Tyreek Hill. They'll probably bring in some more athletes on offense that can that can really change the complexion of a game. You know, you look at their the Bills running backs, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, solid, solid professionals, but not somebody who you can hand the ball to. And in a flash, they've just run 30 yards downfield. Um, you know, those are the kinds of things I think that the Bills are going to be looking for in the offseason. And it will change the complexion of how they're defended and how offenses play against their defense. I I think it's good to know where you stand. And I think maybe the Bills played below themselves against the Chiefs, but at the same time, it's a good message. I, I think it's a good message to receive because this doesn't seem like a team that's going to sit pat in any way, shape, or form from, from ownership on down to the ball boys on the sideline. They're all going to look for ways to get better because that's the culture that they have established at one Bills drive. And, you know, I think it's probably going to be not a busy offseason for the Bills, but there may be some interesting decisions that are made that are going to give us as fans things to talk about. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing where this goes. And one other thing I, I want to bring up. I enjoyed this season more than any other in memory. Uh, you know, when the Bills were going to the Super Bowls, I was a teenager. I expected it to happen. And then the drought occurred. 
I was in this like mini depression that the season was over. But then I had to remind myself that best case scenario, they were only going to be playing one more game anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a fun off season. And just because the Bills didn't play in the final game of the season, they played in the penultimate game. I feel good about it all. And that's that's the underlying theme. Look, there, there's no moral victories. Only one team wins this whole tournament and whole Super Bowl year in and year out. And the Buffalo Bills were one of the four finalists. They were the second best team in the AFC behind the Kansas City Chiefs as far as overcoming adversity, dealing with COVID, putting everything together and putting on the best season that Buffalo. I mean, the Bills set a franchise record or tied a franchise record for wins in a season. They scored the most points and they scored 501 points during the regular season. This time last year, we were all like, oh, well, the Bills lost to the Texans in the wild card. Is Josh Allen really the franchise quarterback? Is he more of a guy who's going to kill you than he's going to help you? And he turned in a bona fide MVP type season. The Bills know they have their franchise quarterback. The Bills went out and and had an unbelievably enjoyable. That's a great word for it, Jamie. The joy and the euphoria that Buffalo presented to its fans and the region, uh, taking away our distractions from COVID-19 and all of the racial injustice issues that are taking place. This was a great distraction for Bills fans to think they came one game away from playing in their first Super Bowl in 27 years. But you're right. There is a ton of work to be done. Bean and McDermott and everybody at One Bills Drive knows it. They, you heard all of the players, even though it's the right thing to say, the way in which players like Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and Stephon Diggs watching the confetti fall on the Chiefs and using that as fuel and motivation for what this team needs to do. They want to get back there. It's incredibly tough to get back there, but I have all the confidence in the world that the process will reward the Bills fans with another trip deep in the postseason, and hopefully they can learn some lessons uh, from this loss to the Chiefs. We'll get into those lessons, of course, on a later podcast, but I want to mention one thing, Jamie. We're not going to rehash the game too much more because, you know, outside of the first quarter when Buffalo had that nine, nothing lead, it really was all downhill. This, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the speed of the chiefs was evident, the motions that they were running on offense, the fact that they so carefully disguised their coverages on defense. I mean, the chiefs played a perfect game plan and the bills needed that perfect game to keep up. They didn't get it, but one thing needs to change above all else when it comes to um, the defense in particular against Kansas city, you know, in the first game that these two teams played uh, at bill stadium in week six, it was a rainy affair. And the bills kind of came in saying, you know what? We're not going to let Kelsey and Tyreek Hill take us over the top and burn the bills for deep plays. And at the time, you know, we applauded that strategy that the chiefs won that game because Clyde Edwards, E Lair ran for a buck 60. The chiefs had 240 yards on the ground and they pulled out that 27 to 16 win. What was frustrating was Buffalo took that same conservative approach in the AFC championship game and said, you know what? We're not going to let Tyreek Hill go for 200 yards in the first quarter. Like he did against the Buccaneers. We're not going to let Travis Kelsey run those deep seam routes and burn us over the top of the defense. They left everything in front of them versus getting behind them. And as a result, I want to read a stat to you, Jamie, that's probably going to make you reach for the bottle a little bit early here on Sunday. In the two games against Kansas City for Buffalo, Buffalo's defense gave up 64 points, 38 in the AFC Championship game. The Chiefs gained 905 yards, 56 first downs total, went 15 of 24 on third down, and eight of their 12 red zone trips ended in touchdowns. That's a 75% completion percentage of touchdowns in the red zone for those non-math majors at home. The point of this all being Leslie Frazier, who the Bills got a break and that all of their major coordinators outside of maybe Ken Dorsey leaving for an OC job somewhere, the Bills are going to have continuity for yet another year with Brian Dable back as the offensive coordinator and Leslie Frazier back as a defensive coordinator and assistant head coach. But Leslie Frazier has the biggest challenge, I feel like, more so than Brian Dable because I think the offense is legit. The defense doesn't have an identity. The defense doesn't have 
all the playmakers and the front four, the defensive line completely underperformed against the Chiefs and the speed game. This is a modern day NFL where speed rules. And right now the Chiefs have that in spades with Tyree Kill, Nicole Hardman, Travis Kelsey. When they took advantage of the cushion that they were given, they ran all over this Bills secondary. And that's a problem that needs to be solved ASAP. The Bills remind me on defense a lot of myself during my college career. I was not a good student. I could do well in three classes, but that was it. That would ultimately mean that two other classes would suffer. Or... I would do mediocre in any of them. In my second to last second to last semester, I got three A's, a D, and an F. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So the Buffalo Bills are very similar to that in that it seems like they can dedicate to doing one thing well, but they can't do everything well. They seem to want to keep the plays in front of them, which they did against the Chiefs, but then they gave up, you know, 13 receptions to uh, to Chris Kelsey. Not good. The amount of run after catch yards that Tyreek Hill had was just, I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but you know that it was just insane. So when the Bills decide and when they're playing, say, the Tennessee Titans that they want to stop the run, they stop the run, but they give up passing yards. They decide they want to keep um, plays in front of them against the Chiefs. They keep the plays in front of them, but then they get shredded on everything that happens underneath. So they need to somehow figure out a way of being more balanced on defense. And we always talk about balance on offense, but there is balance on defense, too. And that entails having good defensive line play. You have to be able to stand up to the run, but you also have to be able to rush the quarterback. Your defensive backs, they need to be solid in coverage, but also come up to stop the run. And let's let's give credit to Teron Johnson. He was benched at one point during the season. He turned it around, and he is probably one of their most effective run defenders out there. The guy knifes into the the pile and makes lots of tackles out there. The linebackers, they need to be able to shed blockers, but also run with the tight end. You got to be well-rounded on defense. The Bills need to do more with that. Now, Leslie Frazier, it was looking very likely that he was going to get hired by the, uh, by the, uh, Texans. He didn't. He probably deserved a head coaching job. For me, I have to be honest with you. I was kind of ready for a new a new defensive coordinator, perhaps somebody coming from the college ranks because if you look at the Chiefs offense, they're really running a college scheme with their misdirections, with their trick plays. You know, there's some some very collegiate elements in there. And I would be very interested to see what a defensive coordinator who has uh, a lot of experience with those types of offense could bring to the bills who are going to be playing the chiefs this upcoming season. Yes, they are. That game is going to be at Her- at arrowhead at some point uh, during the regular season. I don't know, Jamie, I- I- I'm willing to give Leslie Frazier to me. I'm willing to give him another year as DC and I'm actually glad he's back because I feel like he's going to have such motivation getting passed over for potentially the last time to be a head coach in the NFL. David Cully, uh, the former bill uh, assistant coach was hired uh, to be the Texans quarter uh, Texans head coach. Of course, he probably won't have Deshaun Watson uh, when all is said and done in Houston, but there to me, the biggest frustration is yes, the the Bills got gashed and gouged where I think uh, Tyreek Hill, 172 receiving yards, Travis Kelsey caught 11 passes. I mean, they were completely manhandling. McCole Hardman, after that fumbled punt, atoned for his his play big time uh, with the Chiefs, uh, really making Buffalo's corners look silly and foolish. But I that was what was frustrating was the way that 
everything that Buffalo had done so well. They're coming off their best defensive performance of the year. Now, granted, the Ravens are a, a far notch below Kansas City when it comes to their offense, but the Bills, I thought, were not going to get embarrassed and outclassed the way they were on defense uh, in the AFC Championship game. Something needs to be done with this defensive line. You know, Jerry Hughes, I don't want to release him. He was the most viable uh, and talented pass rusher for Buffalo yet again, but he was supposed to get help this year. And Ed Oliver can have spurts where he looks good, but he disappears for long periods of time. The Bills got virtually nothing from Vernon Butler this entire year. Quinton Jefferson had a handful of big plays, but nowhere near what Buffalo needed. Mario Addison was a far cry from what Buffalo thought they were going to get when they signed him. Not that Buffalo lost a lot because Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson did not have great seasons either. So it's not like bringing them back would have been a better recipe for success. But the Bills, if they're going to spend so much money on the front four, they need to hit on some of their lottery tickets and they just did not this entire year. And that got further cemented with the AFC championship game. It was really frustrating that Buffalo's defense just was victim. They were victims. They could not do anything to slow down the powerhouse that is Kansas city's offense. And, you know, to the credit of Patrick Mahomes, he is a freak of nature at quarterback. Some of those throws he made, Jamie, I thought that like, Trey White would have somebody perfectly locked down and there would be a 1% window that Mahomes could drop that pass and he would find that window. He would make those throws. It's a scary thought that when the Bills have plays defended so well, they still found a way to complete the pass against Buffalo. So no wonder when there's a when you see Taron Johnson up against Tyreek Hill, there's no wonder that they're going to go for Hill's way with a pass and he's going to run wild over the secondary. It just there's a lot that needs to be done and the defense has a lot of homework in front of it. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. But I want to go one last point on this AFC Championship game before we switch up to the postseason, uh, the pressers, the season-ending press conferences. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but we'd be remiss if we did not address the conservative play calling by Sean McDermott and the Bills offense in the red zone in particular before the end of the first half and on their first drive in the third quarter when the Bills opted to go for field goals inside the 10-yard line knowing that touchdowns were going to be needed to knock off this juggernaut Chiefs team. Jamie, I can sort of maybe excuse the first field goal in the second quarter because the bills really did want to get points heading into halftime. But even that one, you've got a fourth and two or a fourth and three deep inside chiefs territory. And instead of getting, it was a fourth and goal from the two, the bills had one of the best red zone offenses this entire year. And the chiefs had one of the worst, if not the worst red zone defenses. You've got so many talented weapons. I know Josh was rattled, but why kick the field goal to make it a, a nine point game when you need touchdowns that nobody can really answer. And Sean McDermott said that he wanted to he wanted the team to feel some success to go into halftime with some points but that's not how you're going to beat a team that is without a doubt going to score over 30 points as the Chiefs are going to in pretty much every game that they play so was it a case of 
of Sean McDermott looking at his quarterback and saying, he doesn't seem to have it today. We better take points where we can because I'm not convinced he can drive the team back downfield. You know, I, I think that's a valid point that he and he uh, look. We've spec we can speculate till the cows come home. Josh was rattled. Josh was sca- uh, was was scatterbrained back in the pocket. But if if that's the case, and you feel that Josh is not on his game, why wouldn't you try to set up some of the easier mm-hmm. passes? Get him some confidence versus they were trying to force deep balls to digs and double coverage that weren't there. They were trying to get John Brown involved when he clearly was not a viable weapon. The one weapon that Buffalo had that was working pretty well, TJ Yeldon out of the backfield on those Mm -hmm. angle plays. Why not try something to get Yeldon more involved or shocker, Josh is so mobile. Maybe you keep doing the running. He ran for 88 yards against the Chiefs. Maybe try one of those run pass options where if the pass isn't there, Josh's agility can get him into the end zone. I just feel like it sends a wrong message. You want points, yes, but if you can get points to make it a one-score game, that's one thing. To get the points to get within nine, nine does you no good. Nine is still a two-possession game. Yeah, nine points, it's neither here nor there. You're not in striking distance. You still have to score twice. So I I agree with you on that. I'm trying to get into Sean McDermott's head a little bit, and I I really couldn't when it came to those. It it even looked like when they were on the field that the players were slightly deflated. I think you need to say to them, hey, look, we've gone for it on fourth down 10 times this season. We have converted eight of those. Let's, Let's go with what got us here. Now, I think they took that approach when it came to making sure that Gabe Davis was activated for the game. Hey, he got us to where we are. We have to roll with it. Well, your decision-making has to do the same. And they didn't. It really sort of looked like a Marty Schottenheimer coached team. Remember how often Marty Schottenheimer's teams would go to the playoffs and then he would begin playing not to lose instead of to try to win the games. And inevitably, they would get bounced in the first round. He just he couldn't win. Whether he was with the with the Browns, with the Chiefs, with the Chargers, even um, with Washington, it just he couldn't advance at, once he was beyond those Browns teams. And Sean McDermott sort of looked like that. I I hope he takes a good hard look at himself and really pays attention to his decision making and what that can do to the psyche of his team. Sean McDermott before this season was one of the most conservative play callers in the NFL where they would, he he just would get very bottled up. He would not open up the offense. And that's what makes it so frustrating because for almost all of this year, McDermott had seemed to shed that conservative play calling label. They would go for it on fourth downs. You mentioned the eight of 10 conversion rate on fourth downs. The bills would also be one of those teams that would not punt if they were at the 40-yard line, they would find a way to either draw the team off sides or call up a play that would convert the fourth down into a first down. I guess that's just why it's so frustrating with everybody reverted back to their bad ways in this AFC championship game. And the Bills ultimately came up short 38 to 24 in this one. We mentioned all their warts kind of being exposed for the world to see. The Bills know exactly what they need to do now, Jamie, heading into the offseason. And you heard Everybody in the Bills brass, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, and all the players too, they know what's ahead of them. They know what they need to do. Now, it's one thing to know what you need to do. It's another to go out there and address it. And the salary cap, the Bills are kind of tied up against it. If it's 175 for next year, I believe they have three-plus million dollars under the cap. There's room to free up some cap, and we're not going to get into that on this segment here. But I, what I want to talk about, Jamie, with you about the postseason press conferences, what is your number one takeaway from Brandon Bean? What do you, what was the number one thing that stood out from you with his Zoom call with reporters that you think he must address in the offseason? The one thing that stood out to me was that it sounded like he was bidding Matt Milano farewell by saying he has earned the right to test free agency and see what his value is. I thought with that, damn it, probably the most important piece of the defense right now is 
going to leave. That's an interesting takeaway, and it's hard not to be drawn to that point. And Bean, during his press conference, you know, he talks about, you know, we'll do our best to retain as many guys as we can. We're not sure of the salary cap situation. There's going to be some tough decisions. And unfortunately, whether it's letting guys go on the roster or having to watch guys leave, there's going to be turnover. And to me, that reminded me a lot of what Bean said about Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips last offseason. And as Bills fans know, those two were allowed to test the free agency waters and went to greener pastures, money-wise at least, versus what Buffalo could offer up. I I tend to agree that this might um, this if you read between the the lines and read the tea leaves that Bean is warning Bills fans that Milano might not be back uh, next year. Maybe they pick up the franchise tag of around fifteen million as a one year solution while working out a long term contract extension. I I want Matt Milano back in Buffalo. I think the Bills defense needs Matt Milano to be back. I've changed my tune on Milano quite a bit, and even though he still did not look great against Travis Kelsey. I don't know how many linebackers exist that could slow down the one-man wrecking machine that is Travis Kelsey uh, on the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm not going to pin all of that on Milano, but that's a good takeaway, um, Jamie, from the press conferences. I think for me, much like last year when you know Bean came out and said, along with McDermott, that the team needs to score more points to win the games, and the Bills went out and addressed the offensive shortcomings and scored 501 points, uh, setting a franchise record. So the Bills lived up to Bean's words last year. To me, with the takeaway, I just feel like Brandon Bean is going to work his magic when it comes to the salary cap, and, and he's determined, as everybody else is, that this Bills squad is not content getting to the AFC title game and then fading into oblivion like the Jacksonville Jaguars a couple of years ago. I think Brandon Bean is going to pull some sort of cap wizardry uh, what between Trent Murphy's money, uh, between John Brown's money, uh, between some of the guys on the offensive line. Um, they've got some tough decisions to make with the line. Uh, Daryl Williams and Mongo Feliciano are going to want contracts. I think Brandon Bean is going to come out and do something that, is going to take us all by surprise and and find a way to address the real weaknesses that the Bills have in closing this gap between the Chiefs and the Bills. What that is, I don't know, because other than the Josh Allen extension and Matt Milano, it wasn't like he gave us a lot of specifics to talk about, but I'm going to give Bean the benefit of the doubt that he's going to really take to heart what happened at Arrowhead and, and find a way to get this Bills team back and better than ever for 2021. Well, he has said that we should not expect any splashy moves, but that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be a lot of movement, a lot of uh, salaries let go. He said that if he knew the salary cap was going to be lowered for the upcoming season, there's moves he would not have made this past year. The Bills have the most expensive defensive line unit in the NFL. They did not live up to that. And I think that there's a lot of those guys that would have been let go, especially Trent Murphy. They could have saved $8 million towards next year's salary cap by cutting the guy that we all knew was going to be the odd man out that ended up inactive for the majority of the Bills games, yet they paid him that much money to sit the bench? Terrible decision there. So... I, I think that you're going to see some very prudent, but maybe some difficult moves in the offseason. And I'm looking forward to when we get to speak about those because I love this stuff. <laughs> yeah, there it is. It's a, it's a long offseason um, when it comes to between now and when you know we get training camp. Hopefully there's preseason games and then the season starting off next September. There is a lot of work that the bills need to do. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of it comes down to just the bills need to, that's what, that's what I was getting at though. Jamie was the bills need to get creative with their capologists and with their cap moves. And there is some maneuverability that the bills can have to get more money under the cap. Uh, Brandon Bean has proven to be quite adept at being a trading machine, getting something for nothing when it comes to a lot of the assets he was going to cut. He is going to have his work cut out for him this offseason, no doubt. But I don't know. I think that the, the Bills fans should have a good feeling when it comes to the offseason because if you had told me again last January the Bills would be one game away 
from one win away from making the Super Bowl, I would have called you nuts. Absolutely would have called you nuts. And instead, now the expectations are raised to the point where now what do you do? What do you do for an encore? How do you get this unit back to the AFC title game and beyond? You know, for so long, for 20 years, it was Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the Patriots who stood in Buffalo's way, and the Bills were never up to the task of even competing in the AFC East, much less threatening the evil empire. Now the Bills know what's in front of them. They know the measuring stick. They they should have known it before, but now it, it's one thing to know it. It's another to experience it. And I really enjoyed hearing the 88 Bills, uh, Cornelius Bennett, Will Wolford, all those guys talking about what happened when that Bills team lost in the AFC title game to Boomer Esaias and Icky Woods and the Bengals in 88, and then they lose to the Browns in the wild card round in 89, and then that fuels them on their run of four straight Super Bowl appearances. There's lessons to be learned, and as long as these Bills stay humble, hungry, and open to those lessons, I see no reason why they can't be back in this stage of the season or later uh, moving forward. It's interesting. You know, teams that play in the conference championship, they do better the following season. They do worse the following season. I mean, take a look at the Ravens. Uh, They were not the team this year that they were last year, despite people picking them to go to the Super Bowl this season. People are going to pick the Bills for the Super Bowl. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. The Miami Dolphins are going to take another step forward. They were surprisingly good this season. They could take a huge leap forward next year as well. With all the quarterback intrigue that's going on in the NFL, you could find a great quarterback, find their way to the AFC East and put either New England or the Jets on the map. Who knows what's coming in the offseason? So don't get cocky, Bills fans. And also... I think Bills fans may have learned a lesson because there started to be the whole Josh Allen is better than Patrick Mahomes narrative amongst Bills fans. If you follow Twitter, which is a wasteland of stupid conversations, get off it, guys. Josh Allen still needs to perform better. The team needs to get better around him. The Bills are not the Chiefs, but they could be. And that's what we're going to follow in the offseason. And isn't it nice, Jamie, that there, we're even having these conversations of saying, is Josh Mahomes, is Josh Mahomes, is Josh Allen better than Patrick Mahomes? And and I think that, you know, there he's not. And, and, and Sunday proved it. But you're, the ceiling is definitely there for Josh to take that next step forward with the way he played as an MVP type candidate. This 2020 season, the Bills know what's in front of them. They know their marching orders. I don't think this team is going to get uh, full of themselves. I don't. How can you, when you've been such a moribund franchise for much of the 20, 21st century, how can you get arrogant and, and, and take things for granted? I don't see. And the Bills don't have a player like, you know, Jalen Ramsey was a mouthpiece in Jacksonville, and he's part of the reason I think those Jaguars got full of themselves. The Bills have the culture in place and they have the leaders in place who aren't going anywhere. Their core guys like Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and Trey White, the vocal leaders on this team, the Bills are not going to get full of themselves. So with you know another year of being healthy, uh, good luck in the injury department and some, some, some astute signings and moves this offseason, there's no reason the Bills can't be back there you know, next year. And I know that that's not a great answer because Bills fans want the season to start now. Uh, I'm actually personally glad a little break from football is coming up because I get a little burned out and get so amped up over these games, getting ready for them, getting ready for the podcast. It'll be nice to just sit back and, and see what happens and talk about the off season moves versus the frustrations that come from getting so close. I mean, I, Jamie, I asked you this off the air, but for me, it took me a couple of days to get over the loss and and not that I hadn't entertained the thought of Buffalo losing, but it was just the way in which they lost and the way in which it wasn't the bills we were accustomed to seeing that showed up on Sunday. And that's, what's really frustrating is that the bills didn't put forth their best foot and their best effort and they got their doors blown off. Yeah. You wanted it to be more respectable than it was. Like I said, the game wasn't as close as the score and they really they really had their ass, their asses handed to them, and that's not a fun way to go out, but it might be a good message. It might be the loss they need to spring them forward. 
that happens. And that's exactly, that's exactly, I mean, it happened, you know, the best examples are, you know, the NBA from the eighties, you know, with, uh, you know, the, the Pistons had to get past the Celtics, the Bulls had to get past the Pistons. You know, there's all these hierarchies of teams that are on the rise that need to take their lumps and the bills were probably a year ahead of schedule, but the future still looks bright and we will have all of the off season talk covered uh, for our bills fans here on believe if there's an off season topic you want us to get into, please, we are looking for topics. Give us your feedback, uh, either comment on this article on Buffalo rumblings.com or Jamie and I are very friendly on the wasteland known as Twitter. Get involved at Twitter with us. Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico and I am at John Boccasino. Jamie, it's been a fun ride. It's been a great distraction, disappointing end to the season, but you know what? The future is definitely bright. I've got my sunglasses out, buddy. That's so funny. The future's so bright. <laughs> I got to wear shades by Timbuk four. Hell yeah. I knew you'd recognize what I was laying down there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Child of the eighties over here. And we are diehard Buffalo Bills fans, children of the 80s indeed. It's been a great podcast and a great year, Jamie, talking Buffalo Bills football. We will be back next week. We'll come up with some off-season agendas to run through here on Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on? Oh, mom. No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.